This is the Trails Church Podcast. At the Trails Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples through the gospel in community and on mission. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website, thetrails.org. Now here's today's podcast. Open your Bible with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. For those of you that I've not yet had the privilege of meeting, my name is Matt Boswell, and I serve as uh, one of the pastors here at the Trails Church. And on behalf of our entire congregation, let me extend to you the warmest welcome as we have gathered this morning to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. From the very first Sunday when the words, He is risen, rang through the Judean countryside to this morning as it resounds through Boyer Elementary Cafeteria. The good news of the gospel continues to grow louder and louder. And the line of people whose lives have forever been changed by this news grows longer and longer. Through history and around the world today, churches will participate in an ancient responsive reading where a minister will call out, Christ is risen as an announcement of hope, and the congregation will joyfully reply, He is risen indeed. And so I want us to do our part here to continue this tradition, and also kids, we want to pass this on to you, to the next generation of what we believe and hold so dear as a church. So would you join me this Easter morning in declaring this good news together? Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Easter is a day worthy of all of the color and celebration it receives. Yet we also realize that it's not a celebration for everyone. Probably some not even in this room. I came across a book this week where the author made this challenge. If you had to describe Easter using no words but only punctuation marks... What punctuation marks would you use? Perhaps Easter for you is like a comma, a day where you pause for a moment from your regular routine, even attend a church service, but it doesn't contain any real significance in your life. Some may describe Easter as a big, bold period, maybe even a bit of a downer, as it reminds us of the finality of life and the reality of death. And what happens to us when we die? Others might explain Easter with a question mark. You've heard the story of Jesus and who he was and how he died on the cross and even rose to life again. But you're left with questions how that's even possible or why that matters to you. Maybe the the category of faith is just one large question mark to you altogether. Yet, for some of us, Easter, and I expect many of us, Easter is like an exclamation point. It is a day brimming over with gospel hope and joy and celebration and remembrance and expectation of the day where the resurrected Christ will return for his people, making all things right and all things new. So, setting punctuation aside... How would you describe Easter using your own words? 
My prayer is that as we spend the next few minutes in the Bible and listen to how it describes that first Easter, that God might speak to all of us collectively and to each of us individually through His Word. I pray that the good news of Easter would be a massive exclamation point over our lives and that we might, at the end of our time, just float out of here with gospel hope. Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12, contain the greatest news that has ever been told. These verses take us from the darkest night in Scripture to its brightest morning. Last week we beheld our Savior slain by death. Today we celebrate our Lord crowned with life. The hinge on which all of history swings is held in these three words. He is risen. So I've borrowed my sermon title from Charles Wesley with the hymn we sang earlier, Christ the Lord is Risen Today. But you'll find it listed in your bulletin with no punctuation. I think there should be an exclamation point on the end of it. An exclamation point that communicates the hope that is bursting forth from this text that we'll be looking at this morning. And I want to shape our sermon with these three invitations, I pray, from this text that I, I, I'm asking the Lord that they would help us see the glory of Christ and the wonder of the resurrection with the new eyes this morning. Here are the three points. One, look and see. Two, remember and believe. Three, marvel and tell. So that's, we've got our, our course set. Let me invite you if you would to stand to your feet as we read together from God's holy and inerrant word. Let the gospel ring. Luke 24, 1 to 12. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee? that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women who were with them that told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. The first invitation from our text is look and see, verses 1 to 6. 
Now, these verses contain the starting point in the history of the resurrection, and they are meant to open our eyes to the reality of Christ's resurrection. Luke tells us it was on that Sunday, at the break of day, this group of women head out to the tomb. They are not dressed in colorful clothing, carrying bright flowers, but wearing mourning cloths and bringing burial spices to anoint the body of their Lord. These ladies had watched Jesus be crucified. They had witnessed his burial. But that was Friday, and this is Sunday. Luke paints this contrast of surprises that greet the ladies at the tomb. They were surprised by what they found, and they were surprised by what they did not find. What they found that surprised them was the stone, which had been used to seal the tomb of Christ, had somehow been rolled away. And Matthew tells us that the Pharisees were nervous about this, that something might happen to Jesus' body after he was buried. So they go to Pilate and say, can we have an extra guard of men guarding the tomb by night? So Pilate grants that. Yet even the power of Rome was no match for the power coming from inside the tomb. They weren't ready for that. The stone that was meant to seal off the body of Christ from the world, which in a way was the seal of death itself, was not strong enough to hold Christ in its grip. Matthew chapter 28 verse 2 tells us that an earthquake welcomed the appearance of an angel who rolled away the stone, not so Jesus could get out, but so that others could get in and see that his body was gone, see what happened for themselves. So that is the surprising thing they found. Now, what they did not find was the body of Christ. They peered into the open mouth of the tomb, and there was no body to anoint with oil and spices. The Apostle John says that all they found were the grave clothes of Jesus neatly folded into place where he was earlier laid. The ladies are shocked. And of course, there's this massive question hanging in the air. What happened to the body of Jesus? One of the theories that tried to explain away the resurrection is called the grave robber theory, which claims that it's likely that someone came in the night, um, overthrew this, this uh, company of trained Roman soldiers, and then they hid the body somewhere, never to be found again. Yet how strange it would be for grave robbers to undress a lifeless body and then fold its useless clothes before bolting away in a getaway van, right? So what did happen? Well... As their thoughts race to answer that question, their eyes are met with two men standing in dazzling apparel. Now, some of you have already told your wife today, honey, you have on dazzling apparel this morning. And none of you said that, but that's, that's what you have in mind here. Some of you think that. Um, but something far brighter is in view with the clothes of these men. Only later does Luke tell us plainly, back down in verse 23, that these were angels and the clothes being described were shining like light. It's the same language used at the transfiguration of Christ when he is glowing in glory. Well, the women are overwhelmed and they fall to the ground before these heavenly beings. 
the angels ask them, why do you seek the living among the dead? And this question floored them even more. What, what do you mean? Why do we seek the living among the dead? Are you, are you hinting that Jesus is alive? And as this question fills the air, a flicker of hope ignites in these ladies' hearts. Is this possible? Think about the first angelic announcement earlier in the Gospel of Luke to a young girl named Mary. And now here comes an angelic announcement to these women. He is not here, but has risen. Ah, so there's the explanation of what happened. Christ, though once was dead, came back to life again. All week I've been listening to Andrew Peterson's records entitled Resurrection Letters. This is how he sings of it. His heart beats. His blood begins to flow, waking up what was dead a moment ago. And his heart beats. Now everything is changed because the blood that brought us peace with God is racing through his veins. He breathes in. His living lungs expand. The heavy air surrounding death turns to breath again. He breathes out his word and flesh once more. The Lamb of God slain for us is a lion ready to roar. Christ was died. Christ is risen. It's not that Christ was almost dead, or in the words of the Princess Bride, mostly dead, you know. (laughs) No, he didn't fake his death. In the words of Dickens, he was dead as a doornail. Yet he rose to life again. And surely in this moment, as the women process this news, imagine hearing this. And as they're trying to process this, a highlight reel of miraculous things that they saw Jesus do just rolls through their thoughts. He healed the sick with a word. He fed the multitudes with a prayer. He brought his friend Lazarus and that little girl Talitha. They were dead and he brought them back to life again. And now they hear the news that the author of life, who they saw dead, had come to life again. So I want us to use one of those punctuation marks right here and to just use the comma and pause for a moment to think for a second about what these verses are saying. Perhaps you have looked at this account, at this passage, more times than you can remember. But friends, there is more importance and more glory in this story than we can take in. So I pray that we would be a people whose hearts never get over the glory of this story. We have gathered this morning to worship the resurrected Lord because on that first Sunday morning, the grave was empty. And today, on this Easter morning, it is empty still. Christ has died and Christ has risen. Christ will come again. So look and see. He is risen. He lives. And so let us be Christians, people of God who cling to the reality of the resurrection. As as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, something of first importance, one of the pillars of the gospel. Nothing in history is so fantastic as the truth of the resurrection. 
Christ the Lord is risen today. Alleluia. The second invitation of our text is this. Remember and believe. Verses 6 through 8. Remember and believe. After hearing the announcement that Jesus was not dead but alive, these angels explain to the ladies this was always the plan. They remind them how Jesus had taught them before exactly what would happen. As he writes later in Luke 24, that the Messiah must enter glory through suffering. The angels were, I think, no doubt, Southern Baptists. Um, because even in this little mini-sermon, there's a three-point outline, I think, that's pretty clear. All, most good sermons should have three points, Probably. And I want us to listen carefully to what they say because the content of verse 7 alone contains some of the most precious truths of our faith. The first thing Jesus had told them is that he would be delivered into the hands of sinful men. In Luke chapter 9, verse 44, Jesus told them he was about to be, and I quote, delivered into the hands of men. And then he includes this, but they did not understand it. Then in chapter 22, Judas the disciple betrayed the one that he had been following and delivers him over to the chief priests and the temple officers. Within 24 hours, they deliver him over to the power of Rome, just as Jesus said, he was delivered over. Second, Jesus had told them he would be crucified. Now, in Luke 18, 32 and 33, Now, guys, this is the third time in the Gospel of Luke alone that he records Jesus foreshadowing, prophesying his death. And there he says, speaking of himself, he uses this title, Son of Man, which is Jesus' favorite thing to call himself. And he says, the Son of Man will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. Of course, we know from last week, all of those things unfolded just as was told. And after flogging him, they will kill him. Now, the act of flogging, though it killed many, would not be the final strike that took Christ's life. It would be the piercing of his hands and feet as he hung outstretched on a piece of rough timber, even as the prophet Isaiah had spoken long before. Isaiah 53, 5 says, but he was pierced. And Isaiah already shows us why Jesus will endure these things. He was pierced for our transgressions. What is a transgression? A sin. He was crushed for our iniquity, another word for sin. Upon him was the chastisement, the punishment that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Christ was crucified just as he said he would be. And then finally, on the third day, he said he would rise. Now, the passages we just read from Luke 9 and 18 both shine with this ray of hope breaking through the darkened clouds. On the third day, he will be raised, says 922. On the third day, he will rise, says 1833. Great news, right? Only, Luke continues, in chapter 18, verse 34, he says that no one understood these things. 
that they understood none of these things, that the saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what he said. Now, that is alarming, to be able to see something and not understand it, to read it and have no understanding of it. And on this Easter Sunday, I must ask, is this good news still hidden from you? I don't mean you can't read the Bible clearly, but perhaps your eyes are still closed to beholding the glory and beauty of Jesus Christ. Perhaps your ears are still deaf to the Bible's teaching of who God is, who you are, who Christ is, and how it is that we are supposed to respond to him. So what I want to do is grab another piece of punctuation and put a period right here. For us to just sit here for a moment and think about what the Bible is saying. And let me speak specifically to you who have no hope this Easter morning because you've not trusted in Jesus yet as your Savior. The Bible teaches us that there is one God, and He is perfect and holy and wonderful. That he's eternal, he's always been, and he always will be. He's three persons in one, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And he is the creator and sustainer of all things, including your life. You are not an accident. You were made by God to bring glory to him. Yet you were also born a sinner in need of a savior, removed from the presence of God because of your sin. So there's a separation between all of us who are born and the holiness of God. The biggest problem that faces us today is the sin of humanity. And so God, well, he so loved the world that he sent his one and only son to be delivered over to sinful men so that sinful men could be delivered from their sin. And Christ was crucified because of our sin, because all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because of our sin, we deserve just punishment, which is death and eternal separation in a real place that the Bible calls hell. And as much as our culture wants to rail against the rea this reality, it is absolutely true. And so God sent his son to be the remedy for this sin. Jesus died and Jesus was raised to life on the third day so that he could pave a way for all of us who would believe in him that we might not perish but have, enjoy everlasting life with him. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. There's no way to the Father except through me. So this is a very brief summary of the good news of the gospel. It has nothing to do with what we've done. That's the message of this world. Through self-help and through uh, accomplishment, through cleaning yourself up, you can be made right with God. Just do more good things than you do bad things. In the end, it'll work out for you. That's not the message of the Bible. It's a weird, like Jesus, that we're not just 
uh, mostly dead in sin, we're totally dead. Like dead as a doornail in our sin. And we need a Savior. And so God has provided a Savior through Jesus Christ. And so this morning, the Easter invitation is that if you will call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, confessing your sins and looking to him, would you lay hold of Christ and you will have eternal life. You will pass from the death that you now live in into a form of life that is unspeakable, full of glory. Lay hold of Christ this Easter day. And for those of us who have already believed, I want you to look with this wonderful detail in verse 8. It says of these women, they remembered his words. So the angels told the ladies to remember what Jesus had told them when they were with him back in Galilee during his ministry on earth. To let their minds be filled with the words Christ had spoken to you. I want to pull a principle from this for you and I to glean from. How important it is for us to remember the words of God recorded in the word of God. We hold in our hands or in your phone the inerrant, unchanging, everlasting word of God that is given to us so that we might know him. We might be made wise unto salvation. We would know who God is, who we are, who Christ is, and how to live this life as an act of worship and response to this good news of the resurrection. So this Easter, for those of you who have never trusted in Christ, believe Believe the gospel of Jesus, the good news of the resurrection of Christ. And for all of us who are already Christians, believe the good news of the gospel. It's still as true today as it was the day you first believed. And remember what God has said in his word. The final invitation of our passage, these two words, marvel and tell, verses 9 through 12. Good news cannot be kept silent. It must be shared. And the best news calls for continual sharing. These women run back to where the apostles are staying like messengers of hope. And as they burst through the doorway with the good news exploding in their hearts, the apostles all fall on their feet, on their, on their knees, and receive the good news with gladness. Thank you. That's not what happens at all, right? These guys are, remember what's happened, how stunning this would be. Their friends left that morning dressed in mourning clothes, carrying burial spices to the tomb. They come back in rejoicing and with gladness. Remember, they're still just totally devastated, huddled up together. The one that they thought was going to bring in the kingdom died just on Friday. Their hopes had been shattered by his death. And as they first listen to these women, they think they're delirious. This, this expression, idle words, was used to describe the delirious talk of very sick people who had lost their minds. Except for Peter. Just notice what happens to Peter. The same man who Thursday night had denied knowing Jesus three times. But here, see his eagerness to run to the tomb. He's got to see it for himself. And isn't that how Peter always was? He's got to do it himself. Could it be that the one who called him to walk on the water 
has walked through death and even come back to life. Verse 12 says that Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Now, the Apostle John also records this. He says he was there too. Now, John includes some important information that he thinks we need, we need to know. First, John says, I beat Peter to the tomb, just in case we're all... He's definitely from Collin County. His kids will grow up to be professional athletes, surely. So he beats Peter to the tomb, and then just to kind of pile it on... He describes himself, the title that he most loves for himself is the one Jesus loved. So the one Jesus loved beats Peter to the tomb. Peter doesn't care. Both of them just stoop down in the tomb and they see exactly what the women had said. The linen cloths that wrapped the body of Christ were now lying there by themselves. And Peter went home marveling at what had happened. Peter doesn't have all the answers, but his heart is filled with amazement at what he has seen. These final verses are instructive to us as they highlight the practices of telling and marveling. First, I want us to notice how the good news of Jesus spread. One person speaking the good news to another, gospeling the good news to another, heralding the good news one to another, talking about what Jesus had done. We would use the word evangelism. That, that word means we're telling the good news. That's exactly what they were doing. The proclamation of Jesus' resurrection is the heart of the gospel message. We don't believe in a Christ who is still in the tomb, but he is risen and the news spread. Well, now it's our turn. For us whose lives have been turned upside down by the gospel of Jesus, it's our turn to tell, speak of what Christ has done, of who Christ is, of the reality of the resurrection, of the truth that there is life in no one else under heaven except Jesus. And guys, we're in this tidal wave of growth headed right here to this community. We're in the middle of it. We're just shouting out this message, Jesus alone is salvation. Come and know, come and know our God. It's our turn to tell. Let's be faithful in doing it. Uh, let me just say, this is, our message is completely different than every other message we hear. It's not a message of self-help. It's not a message of better morality. It's not a message of political advancement. It's not the news of a new church that will change your life. You know, a church can't change your life at all. It's the news of the resurrected Christ, who is our hope and our joy. And let us be faithful to speak of it and then marvel. A marveling people. Now, you know as well as I do, you can't look at your own heart and just tell it, marvel at this. You're not marveling enough. Marvel more. No, no, you don't look at yourself at all. But you look at the thing wanting to produce marvel in you. Wonder in you. Amazement in you. So where do you look? It was back to the very beginning. Look and see. Let's keep our eyes fixed on the one who has called us from darkness into his marvelous light. 
The death and resurrection of Jesus is the greatest news that has ever been told. The hinge on which all of history swings is held in these words. He is risen. Jesus died to pay for our sins. Jesus rose so that he might lead his people to eternal life and salvation. And so now, until he returns or calls us home, let us live under the exclamation point of this good news. Let us look and see the glory of the risen Christ. To remember and believe the words of Christ and tell and marvel of all that he's done. Christ the Lord is risen today. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, how thankful we are that this is true. I thank you for your patience, uh, even with the apostles and their delayed belief and their fight for faith, the way you still extend that to us today. I pray for those who are outside of your great salvation. This morning, you would humble them, open their eyes to see the glory of Jesus. Give them the faith needed to believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing, find life in your name. Pray for those of us whose faith is weak. We would look to the empty grave once again and be strengthened. And may we all be faithful to tell of what you have done. I pray all these things in the name of our risen Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from The Trails Church. We hope you have been encouraged, equipped, and edified by time spent together in God's Word. And again, if you'd like to find out more about The Trails Church, visit our website, thetrails.org. 